are continuing with our series uh, that we started three weeks ago called The Kings Later. And uh, this series really has been about um, the king and the bride. So the stories between the king who's God and the bride who's the church, which is us relating to one another. So there are stories back and forth between the king and the bride. The king, again, is God and the bride is us. And so I just want you, even as I continue to talk about uh, what the topic is for today that you have in at the back of your mind, rather, that we're talking about the king who's God and the bride who is us. And so I want to, well, I have the awesome privilege, not that I want to, I have the awesome privilege of concluding this series that we started three weeks ago. And so I've just been reflecting on the series uh, and seeing how my life has been impacted, either if my life has been impacted or not impacted by the series. And so it, I, I thought it's good for all of us to have an evaluation of how, you know, when I come to church, that, does this really help me grow? Is it just another series that Pastor Andrew, as he was having a moment with Jesus, thought about and then doesn't bring any change in my life, you know? Um, and, and so the Bible has this thing that, that, that it calls obedience. And the simplest definition of obedience is applied knowledge. And so obedience is really applied knowledge. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 from verse 24 is talking about uh, this, the two, type of, or two types of builders. The one type is the one that builds on uh, the rock. Another one is the one that builds on sand. And both of them are building and both of them experience the same experience in life. Except that the one that built his house on the rock is the one that took the word of God and practiced it. And when the storms of life came, when the wind beats against his family and against his faith, he was able to withstand those storms of life. Why? Because he practiced the word of God. So when we hear the word, in fact, we are in a competition with the enemy because the Bible says that the moment you receive the word, the enemy comes immediately. So right there and then, as you receive the word, the enemy wants to take it away from you. So that the moment you leave this place, there is no word in your heart. And oftentimes, life is going to demand something of you. Uh, life is going to try and make a withdrawal from your life. And if there is no deposit of the word, you're going to be bankrupt. And that is going to cause you a lot of frustration and stress and depression. Because the life is drawing out of you more than you have allowed God to deposit. And life is going to do that. Just live a little bit longer. You see that. That, that sometime in life, life is going to draw some things out of you. And so it's important for us to understand that as we receive the word today and as we have received the word in the past three weeks, it's important for us to see how our lives have been impacted. The goal was that we understand how much the king loves us so that we can change the way we relate to the king moving forward. My question to us is, have we changed the way we relate to the king? The way when we wake up in the morning, do we relate to the king differently to the way we related to him three weeks ago? And if that has not happened to you, I'm inviting you to go back and listen to the podcast. Go back from the beginning when we started this series and again listen to it and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. So that you can change the way you approach God because God wants you to approach Him as, as, as someone that loves you. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says, we come with boldness before the throne of grace. 
we come with confidence before the throne of grace. Amen. And so today's uh, message, as I'm concluding, is called The Pursuit of the King. The Pursuit of the King. So pursuing the King. And this woman who is the bride started searching and looking for the King. And I believe the presence of the King in our lives gives us meaning. It gives us protection. It gives us all these amazing benefits. And I'm going to get into that in a moment. But I want us to get into our scriptures. Song, Songs of Solomon chapter 3 verse 1 to 2 and then 6 to 7. On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise and go about the city. In the streets and in the squares, I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. And then verse 6 to 7, she realizes this. That what is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of, um, of merchants? Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are sixty mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, all of them wearing swords and expert in war, each with his sword at his thigh against Terah by night. And so this bride is sleeping and she realizes, but, but I, I need this king. That I need to have a relationship with this king. And so she begins to look and search for the king. She begins to look and search for the king. In a search and a quest to find the king, she comes to this place where she has an encounter with the king and she sees the king coming. Because when you begin to look for the king, he shows up. When, when you search for God, the Bible says, seek me and you will find me. And so when we look for God, God has given us a promise that we will find him. When you look for God for, for your project at work, when you look for when you look for God for your exam, like Pastor Andrew said, when you look for God, you will find him. You will find him. And so, Matthew chapter 6, 33, as an introduction to our message, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. In fact, this sermon started from about, I think from Matthew chapter 5, going through to Matthew chapter 7. And so he says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Prior to that, Jesus was talking about the things of life. that You know, the things that we want. The, the nice branded shirts like some of us don't like or like. <laughs> but all these nice things of life. And Jesus says, but those things should not be the priorities of your life that the priority of your life should be one thing and that should be that you are seeking for his kingdom and his righteousness i shared in the first service that i i, I used to drive a nissan almera an old nissan almera and i think my mileage was probably over three hundred thousand. so <laughs> and the petrol gauge wasn't working so my wife didn't like it that much because we got stuck on the highway a few times because I didn't know how much petrol we had in the car. And I thought we were going to go up the hill and on the other side and then get petrol. Then we got stuck. And then she had to cross the highway to bail us out. So that was not so fun. Um, so we decided, well, you know, 
let's get a new car by the grace of God. So in 2014, we were looking for a car. So went online. You know, if you, when you want to buy a new thing, you go online, you search for things, you look at the you know, different functionalities of the car, obviously within your budget. And so we, there were a few cars we liked, but we didn't have budget for them. And so we landed on this car, the, the Hyundai Elantra, which we really loved. And, you know, the functionalities were great. And so we decided, hey, fine, we, let's go buy the car. So we got to the dealership and, uh, and we were buying the car. But which I didn't know this before because I'd never bought a new car. And so when we got there, they, they have your standard functions and then they've got your extras that come with the standard things that you buy. <laughs> and so they've got the extras. But the extras only function when you buy the standard. And so you only have to buy the car first before you get insurance for your tires, before you get insurance for uh, your motor plan if you want to have. Whatever the extras that you need, you need to first buy the car. And so I believe this is what Jesus is trying to convict the disciples. He's saying to them, I, I want you to understand that the extras of life are important. And the extras of life are nice but you need to have your priorities right because it is the kingdom that comes first you might have all the extras of life and there will be no meaning to your life until you have the priority of life which is my kingdom and my righteousness when you set your heart on what i want for your life then you will have what you want for your life and seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness. It's important for us to constantly, when we wake up in the morning, say, this is about God and it's not about me. That my life is not, my life doesn't count unless it counts for God. That I might have all the things I need to have in life, but if I don't have God, the extras of life become just useless extras. Because if we didn't buy the car, we didn't need insurance for it amen and so what do we get when we pursue god like this bride did the first thing i believe is that he gives us a real image of ourselves this i didn't say in the first service because the lord gave it to me while i was uh, having coffee and walking around so you guys get to get this there are a few things that the enemy fights in our lives and he's going to fight in your life from the beginning of time when god created man in genesis chapter one he says he created him in his image god created human beings or a man to be then he can do because he said he created him in his image and in his likeness so that he would have dominion and so then our dominion is dependent on our ability to understand that we are created in the image of God. When the enemy came to attack Adam and Eve in the garden, he didn't attack their personalities. He said, when you do this, you will be like God. Again, what the enemy was attacking was their ability to understand who they were really in God. God had already created them to be like him, but they didn't know. And so we as Christians, the enemy is always going to bring us to a place where we have a distorted view of who we are in God. 
because we cannot outperform our self-portrait. You cannot outperform how you see yourself. And so life has this skill of denting our person and the way we see ourselves. When, when life happens to us, when you go through a tragic event, when you experience something in life, see, the enemy has the skill of trying to dent your personality or the way you view yourself in God. Because the moment you start to change your view of yourself based on your circumstances and on your condition, then you are missing out on the mandate of God that he's given to those that he created to be like him. Because he created us to be like him and when we are like him, then we have dominion over everything. And so this woman had gone through so much and the Bible gives us a picture of a young lady because she wasn't married. Now, obviously, this is a metaphor. It wasn't a real story. It's a metaphor because, uh, you know, King Solomon was writing it as a, as a poem and so forth. But it does portray people who, that, that, that have a personality, that, that, that have a history and so forth and so on within the context of the culture. So this woman was young and she was unmarried. But she was a peasant girl. Now, a peasant girl in simple English, as I looked in a dictionary, is just that someone who's from a low class. Someone who's poor. Now, no one wakes up in the morning and wants to be poor. I have never met a person who enjoys poverty. I have, I, I'm yet to meet one if there is. Because, because poverty is not good. The Bible, in fact, says that the counsel of a poor man is despised. And so, God doesn't like poverty. Yet, this woman was poor. She was a peasant. She was of no value in society. There are some things that perhaps may have contributed to her being where she was. Which all of them may not have been her fault. She was young, she was poor. Maybe her dad was never working. Or maybe, maybe she was an orphan and there was no one to provide for her. Or maybe just life happened to them. That they found themselves in a position that they didn't want to be in but they were there. And so this woman had so many reasons to, to have a distorted view of herself. But the moment she started pursuing the king and when she had an encounter with the king, this is what she says. She begins to change the way she spoke about herself. She says, I am a rose of Sharon. I am a lily of the valley. From just being a poor, a person from a low class to considering herself as someone of value. When, when you pursue God, he gives you his view of you and you begin to see yourself the way he sees you. And when you see yourself the way he sees you, you occupy your place and you exercise the mandate that he gave you in Genesis chapter 1. Your image of yourself. The second thing we get, if you play chess, when we pursue the king, is that he gives us the wisdom to lead and to govern. He gives us the wisdom to lead and to govern. There's a story that I love in 1 Kings uh, chapter 3. It's a story of Solomon. Now, if you look at the life of Solomon, he was not deserving of the position that he got. One, because obviously we know the story of his mother, the way he got, rather she got with, with his dad, David. We know that he was not the first son because by law, the first son was supposed to inherit the throne after his dad. 
And so there are many things that worked against him, and yet he received this favor of being king. I think he may not have been well prepared, although it's not explicitly uh, said in the Bible, but his father gave him a technique and said this, you shall seek the Lord for all the days of your life, and then you will know how to lead. He says, when you pursue God for the rest of your life, you will know how to lead the people. Because leading is not so easy. I have people who lead departments and teams, and, and they can testify that leading is not easy. But if you are given to lead a nation that you have to protect and preserve, a nation that you have to train armies to fight and occupy other territories, you need some kind of wisdom to be able to do that. And so in uh, 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon began to seek the Lord. And he had an encounter with God and the Bible says that God gave him wisdom to lead. And we hear stories of people coming from far away to come and hear his wisdom. We hear people like the Queen of Sheba who came to consult with Solomon. Now that's if you talk about consulting, that's where consulting may have started even. <laughs> she came to consult with it. Please, I've heard of your wisdom. Before she left there, she said, I had heard of your wisdom, but now I have seen your wisdom. There's a man that I was reading about, one of the founders of our democracy. His name is uh, Albert Lutuli. Well, they call him Chief Albert Lutuli because he was a chief at some point in his life. And this man was born, he was originally from the Kezeden, was born in Bulawayo. When his dad passed away, they sent him back to the Kezeden. And there he studied to be a teacher. And from there he joined another college, uh, Adams College, where he became a... <laughs> the guys at the back, thank you. Where he became a lay preacher, it says. And he said that he was deeply religious. And this, this was his biography, that he was deeply religious. He was a Christian. He was a great preacher. And this is what he said. He said this in his fight against injustice. He said, to remain neutral in a situation where the laws of the land virtually criticized God for having created men of color was the sort of thing I could not, as a Christian, tolerate. And this gives us a picture that his Christianity, his pursuit of God, compelled him to fight against injustice. And he further said, he said, I believe that here in South Africa, with all our diversities of color and race, we will show the world a new pattern for democracy. This is a challenge for us to set a new example for all. Let us not, let us not sidestep this task. And we admire these people that we see, but where did their secret lie? It lied in the fact that they knew how to pursue God for them to be able to lead. And you are here, you might be facing challenges in your workplace. You might be facing challenges with the people. And I want to give you this secret that your ability to pursue the king will determine the degree to which you are able to lead with wisdom and courage. Your ability to pursue the king. So I didn't hear that. And thirdly, when we pursue the king, he gives us victory, or the, he gives us the ability to have victory 
of our enemies. I was saying this in the first service again. That some, some time back, the church was just about spiritual warfare. It was just about, you know, spiritual warfare, casting out devils and seeing demons everywhere in pictures. You walk in a place, that picture's got demons. Or this or that. Or, you know, it was just about demons and, and we forgot about Jesus. We started talking more about demons in our churches than we talked about Jesus. I don't think it should be like that. But that should not mean that we deny the existence of the enemy. That should not say to us that, no, no, because we want Jesus in the church does not mean the enemy doesn't exist. Jesus himself in John chapter 10 says this, John chapter 10 verse 10, he says, the enemy comes back to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so Jesus knows that the enemy is coming to destroy your life. The enemy is coming to destroy the lives of your children, the lives of your marriage, that, that the enemy is coming to destroy you. Jesus acknowledges, in fact, Paul says this in Ephesians 6, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers. So he acknowledges that we are in a wrestle here. We are wrestling against some powers that we cannot see. And so I want us to understand today that the, there is an enemy who is real. And when I'm talking about an enemy, I'm not talking about your cousin. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and I'm not talking about your aunt because our, our fight is not against flesh and blood. And I want you to bear that in mind. I don't want you to walk out of here and then start pointing at every person in your family to be a witch. No, no, our, our, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It is against principalities and powers. And we are fighting invisible forces that are wanting to destroy us and our lives. And so when we pursue the king, he gives us the ability to have victory over our enemies. I want to share a story of this man, uh, David. Now, I like David, but I don't want to have his life. Because, I mean, when he tells stories of him having killed a lion and a bear, it's like, it's like, a, it's like a simple story is telling. And in my mind, I'm like, what? <laughs> you, uh, killing a bear and a lion, that's not a simple story. I mean, that's like your life on the line. Like this thing can kill you and eat you alive. You know? <laughs> Literally eat your leg while you're watching. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's like you're dying with your eyes open. I don't want to die like that. <laughs> But he's telling these stories of the victories that he had of, of killing the lion and the bear. And we see him getting into the palace. I want to open a bracket. You know, David was anointed by God and he didn't look for the anointing. He didn't ask for the anointing. He just, God looked to anoint him. In fact, God sent a prophet to look for him. His own father didn't believe that David was deserving of the anointing. But God yet still wanted to anoint him. Irrespective of that, he still experienced challenges in life. It doesn't mean if you have a position at work and now you're experiencing challenges, that didn't come from God. It doesn't mean if you're having challenges in your relationship, just because you're having challenges does not necessarily mean it's not from God. There are times even things that have been given to us by God experience hardships. And so that's not just, and I'm not saying to you that make a decision based on that, but I'm saying to you that every challenge or everything that is challenged does not mean that it didn't come from God. Because David was anointed by God and yet his life was on the line. He could have been killed with the anointing of kingship. 
And so he decided to run for his life to find refuge. Went and found refuge in this land called Ziklag. Now he got there finally, you know what, I'm going to stay here with my men until this king who's looking to kill me dies. Then I'll go back home and perhaps become king because God wants me to be king. In this city, they were solicited to join um, an army as mercenaries to go and fight for this king who had given them refuge. And so David decides, him and his men, to join these, uh, uh, this army. They went to war. When they got there, they were told, oh, well, we actually don't need you here. Just go back home. And so David and his men decided to go back. As they were coming back into the village or the city of Ziklag, I mean, I can imagine this picture from far there, seeing this smoke mounting to the sky. And they're wondering what's happening. Like, oh, our wives are cooking for us today. We're going home to like these wonderful brides and stuff. And when they got there, it was their homes that had been destroyed. It was the stuff that they owned that had been just damaged and demolished. And what was even more shocking, they looked and this, I can imagine these men crying and calling out to their wives, hello, if it's Bianca, oh, are you here? Oh, you know, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Trying to look for people that would be alive in the fire to try and, you know, rescue them or, so, or something. But there was just this absolute silence and there was no one. And they suddenly realized that their wives and their children had been taken by the enemy. Now, I'm, I'm not a, a father yet. I'm a husband. But I've spoken to Pastor Andrew before. I remember he spoke at, uh, I didn't ask him for permission to share this. So he'll slap me at the end if he didn't like it. Uh, so we, he was sharing at, uh, at Victory Weekend. And he gave it this powerful example that he was walking with his daughter, Karen, this one time at uh, Krista Shopping Mall. And he looked back, there were these boys that were looking at her. And there was this holy indignation that started mounting in his heart. Um, and, and just there was this holy anger that just was mounting. Now, I have those with my wife when we're working at the shopping mall. And I see this guy just staring at her. And like staring at her, I just like, we were walking into this pick and pay this one time. I had to get the trolley and my wife was, was ahead of me. This guy just from nowhere, he's wanting to talk to her. <sighs> my wife told her, I'm with my husband, just please run. <laughs> because I just, I, I find my, I think I'm a calm person. <laughs> I think I'm quite composed and collected. But there are things that would cause that holy indignation to just arise in me. And just like, oh man, uh, I don't care how strong you are, but I just, I'll fight you, you know? But I'm imagining these men, they've arrived in this village. Their daughters have been taken. Their wives have been taken. Now, if you go to war and you win, you get women and children, they become your personal property. So there was no law against what you would do to them. Literally, they became your property. Now, David and his men are thinking, I mean, you can imagine what's going through their minds right now. Our daughters have been taken. Our wives have been taken. Probably these men are just, you cannot imagine what they might be doing to our wives and our children. And the Bible says these men began to cry. They raised their voices and began to cry. 
Imagine about 700 men crying. Just men alone, crying. <laughs> not, not, not a common sight, Pastor Andrew says. Just, just crying. And the Bible says they cried until they had no more strength to cry. I said this in the first service, and I don't know how appropriate it is, but I, I was saying that we, we were at a funeral recently, uh, a very sad uh, story, because one of our pastors who pastored our church in Rosettenville suddenly passed away, but it was very, very sad. So we, you know, our church is multicultural, and <laughs> some of our um, church, like Pastor Andrew, some of our white uh, people in the church have not gone to a lot of black funerals <laughs> and to see how people cry there, you know? So, so Pastor, Pastor um, Roger and uh, David Webb were at the funeral and uh, literally people were throwing themselves to the ground, crying. It was a mess. So, you know, Pastor, Pastor Roger and, and, and David Webb, you know, Obviously, they are pastors. They care for these people and wanting to comfort this person. Mike, what can we do? Can we sing a song? Can, you know, can we start a prayer? Can, what, like, what can we do? Like, these people are crying so much. They need comfort. And so, you know, at first I said to them, you know what? There isn't really anything you can do. These people will cry like this. <laughs> because they will. I think they, they, they said yes, but they didn't believe me. <laughs> So they asked us to start like a prayer thing. So we started a song. And then Pastor Roger preached for like 15 minutes. Literally the moment he said, Amen. And people went back to cry. <laughs> people went back to cry. And I said to them, these people will cry. Until probably the day of the burial. And after the burial, then they'll start cooling down. And it's like this. So I said anyway, I said, maybe white people don't understand how to cry. Snorty cry. <laughs> But these men, the Bible says, they raised their voices and cried until they had no more strength to cry. I can imagine how loud they may have been. And when you see men crying and there's so much pain in their hearts because they feel like they cannot protect the people who are so precious to them. Some of them are blaming themselves. Man, if I was here, my daughter would never have been taken away. If I was here, my wife would have been fine. If I was here, our house would not have been burned down. Look at our house now. It has been burned down. They begin maybe to blame themselves. And David, in the midst of that, the Bible says, strengthened himself in the Lord and began to pursue and seek God. And he asked the Lord, Lord, what should I do? The Lord said to him, pursue, go after them. You will overtake them and you shall recover everything. And I'm just wondering, in the midst of this trouble, in the midst of the pain that these people are experiencing, imagine if they decided to kill themselves. Imagine if they decided to commit suicide. As though they may not, I mean, I think most of them may have thought, life is useless. Let me just die. Because my daughter, man, what am I going to say to her when I meet her? In the midst of their pain, David, the Bible says, sought the Lord. How many of us choose to quit in the midst of our challenges instead of pursuing the king? How many of us choose to give up on life 
when we are faced with adversity, instead of saying, man, when I pursue the king, he gives me the ability to have victory over my enemies. When I'm experiencing trouble at work, do I just quit and resign? Or do I say, Lord, what do you want for me in this space? When I'm experiencing challenges in my marriage, do I say, Lord, I'm, I'm out of here? Or do I say, Lord, what do you want for my marriage? When I'm experiencing challenges with running a business or with people, do I quit or do I go after God and pursue him? Because I know that my ability to win is in my ability to pursue the king. Because it is the king who gives me the strength to win in life. And I don't know what challenges you are faced with. But I know that the Bible says when we seek for God, we find him. And I'm encouraging you, seek for God. There is no situation that is too hard for God to answer. There's no sickness that is too hard for God to heal. You go after God and seek for him. He is going to give you the ability to win in life. David says in Psalm 37, he says, I was young, now I'm old. I have never seen a righteous man forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. He says, I have an experience with this God that I have pursued him and I've gone after him. I have never seen no man forsaken by God. Our pursuit of God. Let us stand to our feet. We're going to pray. Our pursuit of God. If David had decided to quit, he would never have recovered. He would never have overtaken his enemy. In fact, he would never have become king. And maybe today we would be reading a different story of other kings instead of David and Solomon and his sons. But the reason why today we are reading of the stories of David is because he pursued God. God gave him the ability to overcome. And I said this again about a month or so ago. That our victory is not just our victory. It is a victory for our children and their children. The fight that you're fighting today is not just you. It's when your son comes to you 20 years from now and says, Dad, how did you overcome that? You've got a testimony to tell him. Like, man, hang in there. God is going to come through for you. And I believe there is no substitute for pursuing God in prayer like David did. I had a, another moment of holy indignation this week. I spoke to two people and my heart was shredded to pieces. And I just, I just prayed to the Lord in that moment. These two people, separate people, don't even know each other. Having one told me that she hadn't been sleeping for five days. Literally, no sleep for five days. And the other one has, hasn't been sleeping for months. He can't even count anymore. Literally, no sleep. And they have to work. They have to be productive. 
And in my heart, I said, Lord, this cannot be from you. I don't think God, God loves us too much to allow us to go through such. And this is certainly from the enemy. I don't know your challenge this morning, but I know the life has this thing of just throwing challenges at us. And I want you to bring that petition before God. Because victory is your heritage. Jesus understands the yearnings of your heart and the pain of your heart. And I want you to say words to him this morning. I want you to say a word this morning to him. And it could just be, Lord, just help. It could be just, Lord, I need you. Or it could be, Lord, show up. Otherwise, we are doomed. But I want you to say something to the Lord this morning about the things that are in your heart. If it's work, if it's relationships, if it's children, if it is leading, if it is financial limitations, whatever your challenge might be or your problem might be, I want you to say a word to the Lord this morning. And Father, we bring our petitions before you today in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that every petition that is made in this house today, that you would come and that you would answer. The word says that when we pray according to your will, we know that you hear us. And if you hear us, that we know that we have the petition that we have asked of you. Lord, we are crying out to you this morning that you would come and heal us. That you would come and restore us. That you would come and bring us together again, Lord, where, where our hearts have been torn apart. And Lord, we ask for your grace over us. In Jesus' name. Lord, I command every, every chain of the enemy that may be holding any one of us in this place captive to anything. I command that chain to be broken now in Jesus' name. Lord, we receive the freedom of God because it is for freedom that Jesus has set us free. And we receive that freedom right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, we speak comfort. We speak courage and confidence. Lord, for those who are feeling like there's no more hope for them in life. And we pray hope to arise now in Jesus' name. Lord, where people have lost appetite for living, Lord, we pray now in Jesus' name, just an appetite for life will arise again in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you today. Because we know that you are strong, you are God, and that you answer us. We thank you today in Jesus' name.